From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is a place for crazy people. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. I think you'll listen. TNT. Okay, let's get down to business. It is Friday, the 2nd of February. Yes, 2024. This is TNT, today's news talk. We're coming at you live from our bunker in uh, the Gold Coast in Australia, but of course, beaming out all across the world to all you lovely people that are listening in right now, and every single one of you are welcome. This is the Open Line Show. Natalie Chill, myself, and Basil Valentine this morning will be bringing it to you, uh, hitting you right between the eyes with breaking news and topics of discussion. And we're joined also today uh, by two special guests. Number one, we have Niall Fraser uh, coming to us from Scotland. And also Jada Franson will be joining us at around about half past the hour. So please stay tuned for that as well. Lines will be open uh, for the last 20 minutes of the show. You can give us a call if you feel led to do so or simply listen in and participate in our live chat at tntradio.live. Natalie, uh, Irish Inquiry is reporting in uh, Ireland, uh, breaking news, extremely angry senator refuses to leave the Senate until uh, or unless health minister arrives to explain why a child became permanently paralyzed as a result of suspended waiting lists. So Senator Tom Clonan alleges the reason why these children have been left waiting is due to the suspension and subsequent vendetta of two senior surgeons who raised concerns about operating practices at a kids' hospital in Dublin. So uh, a real kerfuffle going on in the Irish Senate this week. Senator Cloan, who is a father to a child with spinal defects, spoke passionately about how 150 kids uh, have been left languishing on waiting lists, many of them in extensive pain, and some of them becoming permanently paralyzed as a result of the backlogs. Uh, And some of these people weren't even present to hear what this man had to say. They didn't even grace him with their presence in the Irish Senate. What a disgrace. Yeah, it was. And, you know, you could really tell he was talking from the heart. It was an impassioned speech. Um, it obviously, uh, Leo Varadkar wasn't there. Uh, Roderick O'Gorman wasn't there. Um, and uh, it, it, it was, uh, it's a matter that uh, should have been uh, discussed. It's disgusting that they don't even uh, turn up. Uh, I saw some opinions on uh, X as well. People were saying, uh, meanwhile, untold amounts of money are wasted on the treatment of people who believe their bodies don't conform uh, to the beliefs. That was Women's Space Island and Helen on X said fair play to Tom Clonan. I really feel felt the senator as he gave that impassioned speech. Um, how come you could tell us about a hundred K plus people who get free medical cards, but you can't help just a single 150 disabled children who are in pain every day. Uh, so, you know, uh, Irish citizens really not happy about this either, Rick. No, and this guy isn't just a father. He's obviously uh, a member of the Irish Parliament as well. And Varadkar, Mehul, Martin, O'Gorman, not even there to hear what this man had to say in a very impassioned speech. Obviously, they were aware that this was happening, but they didn't weigh in. It's a little bit like MPs in Westminster. Uh, They're not there when it comes to important issues, but if they're talking about their pay packages, for example, the house is bunged, bunged, overflowing, uh, bursting at the seams, as it were, uh, which is just typical. It just goes to show this isn't just isolated behaviour from English politicians. Obviously, the Irish are very capable of that one as well. So just thought that we'd bring that to people's attentions this morning. That's the state of play with 
crucial issues that are happening in Ireland at the minute, completely dismissed by the like of Faradkar, uh, Martin and O'Gorman and others of their ilk. So we've got to take a brief pause. Uh, we're going to usher, usher Basil Valentine to take the stand and tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help him God. So don't go away. Stay tuned for more here on TNT, today's News Talk. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Basil, it's uh, nice to see you uh, this morning and to hear those dulcet tones of yours, or at least I'm <laughs> anticipating uh, being happy to hear those dulcet tones of yours. How are you doing today, Squire? Very well. Great to be with you, Rick. And hello to our viewers and listeners all around the world. Do uh -huh. you remember the Viewers and Listeners Association, Rick? Um, uh, no, you're going to have to jig my little uh, <laughs> foggy Irish Val brain on that one. Known as VALA, V-A-L-A for short. And it was the organization fronted by the redoubtable Mary Whitehouse back mm. in, the in the 1970s. And she sought to combat what she saw as deteriorating standards in broadcasting, particularly with respect to violence and pornography. The Viewers and Listeners Association. Mm. Okay, well, I do but remember I Whitehouse, but not her. Oh, I was going to say, I was born in 82. I was born in 82, so I don't remember that one, Basil. It was before my oh, time. I remember her. I remember <laughs> well, I was, uh, she was quite a character. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I've um, heard the name. But back to the news, because we are today's mm. news talk. A couple of stories interconnected, effectively, that caught my eye. Uh, first of all, the number of migrants arriving in the Canary Islands jumped by no less than a thousand percent in January from a year before. A total of 7,270 people reached the archipelago in the Atlantic Ocean between the 1st of January and the 31st, a 13-fold increase from the 566 people people in the same month last year that's over 7,000 people in one month so at that rate we were on course for something like 100,000 people in the year uh, last year 6,000 people died trying to make the crossing from uh, well the nearest landfall to the Canary Islands is actually the disputed territory of uh, the southern Sahara south of Morocco it's not really a country because there is scarcely any settlements. It's between Morocco and Mauritania, an extremely poor part of the world. And indeed, it is poverty that is driving most of these migrants. Worth bearing in mind that 500 million people in sub-Saharan Africa live in poverty and the population of sub-Saharan Africa goes up by 100,000 souls every day. So before the war in the Middle East, this was the story that was never going to go away in our lifetimes, basically. Um, there, there's no no answer to this. Uh, that's figure of 6,000, Basil, uh, that die in the crossings. You know, we're talking about 7,000 people coming in just in the month of January, but last year, 6,000 people died making that treacherous crossing. We have touched on the occasional tragedy 
that's been reported or that we've been able to see reported on in uh, mainstream news sources. But 6,000 in a year, that's a huge amount of people that are dying, fleeing poverty. But you don't hear so much about that. You hear about the amount of people arriving, but you don't really hear about the many people dying as such. Very true. I mean, these boats disappear. Uh, you know, it's a treacherous stretch of water. It's the Atlantic Ocean. It's uh, it's no fish pond, you know. So uh, who is to know if a boatload of 50 migrants sets off from Mauritania and disappears at sea two days later? It's not exactly the talk of the town in Western capitals, as it were. But what is the talk of the town today is that the Home Office has run out of money for the asylum seekers that have reached the United Kingdom and is seeking an emergency cash payment of 2.6 billion after unforeseen expenditure on hotels for said asylum seekers. So these are two wings of the same bird, really, two sides of the same coin, ever-increasing numbers of people, uh, particularly from uh, sub-Saharan Africa, as well as from the Middle East, seeking a better life in Western Europe, and in particular Britain, as we know. Um, and the cost is being borne by the UK taxpayer. Natalie, uh, those figures are pretty startling, especially that massive jump, thousand yeah. percent jump, uh, January to January, uh, for people coming across uh, over the Canaries. Of course, the 6,000 deaths are crazy, but also this uh, headline, Basil's talking about uh, the cutting of benefits. We're seeing that in Ireland as well. Uh, they, they were the cash cow for uh, immigrants coming across from Eastern Europe and North northeastern Africa, 220 euro a week. That's been slashed to 38 a week. And the Irish people are almost being primed here to say, your other benefits for Irish nationals could be cut, pension payments, disability living allowance, because we only have so much in the pot and there's only so much money we can print i think the reckoning day nut is uh, coming up for all this uh, open doors border policies what well, do you think well my prediction for a long time has been uh, a digital id being the end game you know they have been encouraging and allowing uh, uncontrolled uh, immigration globally we've seen it as you've said in ireland uh, the uh, uk the us uh, italy i mean i could go on and on and on um and eventually we've seen you know crime rates go up they are running out of money as you say and i i feel that in the end you know problem reaction solution the answer is going to be oh we've got a terrible problem on our hands now we've got nowhere to put anyone and the crime rates are really high guess what we're going to need to do rick if everybody gets a digital ID, we're finally going to be able to monitor and protect you and control this situation. And I think that is the way it's heading because, like you said, we don't really know the truth about uh, the deaths uh, and how many people are getting killed on those boats, uh, but uh, that they will be able to tell us uh, how how we can control it in the end. Basil, tell me this. Uh, what do you think is going to be? Well, it's pretty obvious people aren't going to be happy if they're told that their benefits are going to be cut. Yep. But if it gets to the point where, for example, Trump's already sowing the seed that if if and when he gets reelected again on day one, he'll start boot, booting people out of America en masse. Ireland this week have reported that they're talking about hiring charter planes or getting uh, tenders out for charter planes to, to kick people out of the country if they're not there legally, you know, which bears the question, why are they still there at the minute and why are they waiting until the tail end of this year to do it? 
is it fair to say that a lot of people won't go peacefully, as it were? They're already, they've got their feet in under the table. Uh, they've got their feet up uh, in front of the fire, as it were, uh, toasty warm toes. And if they're told to pack up and bog off from the UK or anywhere else for that matter, uh, it's fair to say that maybe a lot of them will be going quietly. Well, I mean, it's the reason they come is because life is better in Western Europe and North America than in the global south as a rule uh the extra cash in the uk is needed for hotel rooms because the numbers being housed in hotels has exceeded fifty thousand for the first time uh, now these numbers are tiny compared to the uh, numbers entering the united states where some estimates say that as many as 30 million people could have crossed the border over the last five years before the end of the Biden presidency. I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely it's off the charts. And uh, only 5% of them now are Mexicans, interestingly enough. People are flying to Mexico from all parts of the world, Africa, South Asia, China, uh, believe it or not, uh, and then walking across the border from there. It's absolutely out of control. Uh, and nobody's really got any answers to it. No, the irony, uh, the irony to that one is as well, during the scandemic years, if you or I wanted to legitimately or Natalie wanted to legitimately fly to JFK airport and have a city break in New York, we wouldn't have been allowed in without a vaccine passport. But if we'd have flown to, uh, you know, Cancun in Mexico and then made our way illegally across the border into Texas, we wouldn't have been asked any questions. In fact, we'd have probably yeah. been given free bed and breakfast at a plush hotel and bust up to a sanctuary city like New York or San Francisco well, or Chicago. With no questions asked. Very quickly, I have a personal story on that score. Mm. A friend of mine, uh, a Spanish national uh, who had visited the United States legally and worked there for a while on a visa, applied for another visa twice uh, while she was in Mexico, was twice refused uh, for no obvious reason, uh, having made a sort of two day journey from where she was in Mexico, huge country, Mexico, up to Ciudad Juarez, I think it was, where the uh, where the visa issuing office was. So having been turned down twice, she decided to take matters into her own hands. She walked across the border in Texas. Uh, on arrival, she was uh, in a camp for a couple of weeks with, she said, predominantly Colombian women. Uh, and then she was given a mobile phone and told to report back in two years' time. And she headed off to Hollywood, which is where she wanted to go in the first place. So, you know, what is the point of trying to enter the United States legally? I know it's insane. It's almost like you're rewarded for making yeah. an attempt to enter it illegally and punished right. if you want to yeah. come in there uh, legally. Uh, great stories, Basil, by the way. Uh, much appreciated for you bringing that to us Thanks, here this Basil. morning. You'll be coming back for Locked and Loaded in Thank an you. hour's time, uh, which is going to be great. And in the meantime, we've got to take a break uh, before we welcome our first guest, Nal Fraser, onto Open Line here this morning, live and uncensored on TNT, today's news talk. Sonia Porton. You feel the need to describe yourself along with being a useless eater, free speech isn't a phobia, as a male with a penis. Why would you feel the need to describe yourself as such? Well, you never know these days, do you? Anyone can have a penis, apparently, so just thought you better make sure everybody knows. And that, and that is the reality, isn't it? Words have lost all meaning. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on and come and join me about and comment about is the whole issue of gender and transgenderism. Are you cis, Jack? No, there's no such thing. 
There was, there was literally no such thing till a couple of years ago, and it's, it's their religion, it's not mine, and I refuse to get involved with this sort of terminology. It's ridiculous. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. In a democracy, the majority vote rules. But in most democracies, you can only vote for change every three or four years. To understand what people want, governments and political parties use focus groups. These focus groups can include as little as 20 people. Australia is a country of over 25 million people. Does making decisions based on 20 people sound fair to you? Have your say. Be heard in between elections. Download the 4MySay app now. That is number four, my say. The human mind is like a computer. No matter how efficient it may be, its reliability is only as great as the information fed into it. That's a campaign promise! Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We mandate that the truth be told. You're hearing it. TNT. Okay, we're live, we're uncensored, and we're coming at you. I'm going to hit you between the eyes with some reality here this morning. Uh, we're joined for the first time on Open Line by Niall Fraser. Niall is a Scottish political activist and also a member of the Scottish family party and he's coming here on here today this morning very kindly taking time out of his morning to talk about the ongoing saga that is the scottish covid inquiry now welcome are you <laughs> strapped in and are you ready to go um, so i hope you and your viewers are strapped in because it is uh, what a saga it has been it's been an absolute uh marathon i mean if your viewers ever want uh, comedy value, always turn to Scotland because you can see it's, it It really does uh, provide so much comedy. So the past week has been rather momentous in Scottish politics. We've had the, the sort of treasure trove of WhatsApps for the Scottish government officials, giving us a, a, a sort of teensy-weensy-wee glimpse into the sort of private conversations of our, our officials. And to be honest, it all feels rather petty and miserable just like a teenage drama that's set in Holyrood. It's truly pathetic seeing these people's conversations. Uh, and these are the leaders of uh, Scotland. So uh, it's interesting. I mean, Hamza uh, continues to crater the SNP. I mean, the COVID situation uh, with the inquiry, Nicola Sturgeon, uh, his predecessor, her reputation now lies in abject tatters. Uh, and she's crushed all chances of ever having an acting career with her uh, performance at the the COVID inquiry when she was, uh, you know, getting really teary-eyed over the... Pro you know, I just wanted to lead Scotland through the pandemic, she says. Uh, and again, all these questions, we didn't really get to the important stuff. I mean, this isn't the important stuff we're talking about uh, as uh, we silly text during the pandemic, but... Really, during the pandemic, Nicola Sturgeon had said, um, you're irresponsible, you're an irresponsible citizen if you do not take this vaccine. Uh, does she still have the same stance today? Uh, that's the that's question I would like to ask her at this uh, COVID inquiry. Um, but overall, uh, it seems to be that the SNP seems to be, it's, it's almost like they're, they're uh, they're kicking a horse while it's while it's already down. It's it's a dead horse. The SNP are already like almost dead and buried in Scotland here at this point. Mm -hmm. But it seems like the COVID inquiry has just been uh, knocking them even further down. Uh, they're set for total ruination over here in Scotland. 
Tell me this, uh, 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 Niall, I was looking at some of the other commentary from the other side, people in support. Actually, Nicola Sturgeon does still have supporters. So some chap up in Scotland really? called Fra Fraser MacDonald, <laughs> listen to this. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced what's called gastric reflux. Gastric reflux <laughs> is when you bring up the stomach contents into your mouth and you have like that little little bulky moment. Well, I had a little bit yes. of gastric reflux yesterday when I read Fraser's comment. Fraser said, Nicholas Sturgeon, I was going to do it in the Scottish accent, but I'm not going to inflict that on our viewers. Nick, Because when you hear that word, Nicholas Sturgeon, yeah. you almost have to say Sturgeon. But Nicholas yeah. Sturgeon led our nation. She led our nation through the most uncertain period in most people's living memory. And listen to this. She did so from the front, looking the public in the eye and owned Every decision her government took, that burden is great. Thank you, Nicola. I almost barfed. I almost barfed when I oh, did that. I, I just got that exact that, feeling that, that you that just described. Nephew, is that her nephew possibly wrote that tweet? Is, does she have a nephew <sighs> called Fraser McDonald? I think McDonald I vomited in my mouth. The, the thing is, see, uh, if this guy was actually tuning into the COVID inquiry, she led from the front. What transpired during this text, and it shows you just how whimsical these lockdowns were, it transpired in the text that uh, the, the chief advisor to Nicola Sturgeon is a woman called Liz Lloyd, uh, and they're in this WhatsApps together. And remember when they're all talking about the lockdowns, what time businesses should shut, guys? You know, what time? You know, uh, and, you know, in the WhatsApps, it detailed, they're asking about it, what time should businesses shut? Liz Lloyd says, my initial instinct is 6 p.m. That's what's said in the WhatsApp. Later that day, Nicola Sturgeon announced to the public that businesses would close at 6 p.m., from Just one advisor's advisor, whimsical advisor opinion, like initial, yeah. it's, it's sensational. Yeah, and they did it, and they did it, though, on the back of that. And, of course, now a lot of these messages, which is the thrust of this conversation that's happening at the minute, uh, when Sturgeon was put onto the uh, the stand and the spotlight was shown uh, directly onto her face yesterday or this week, and she was asked, you know, what did you delete those messages? Yes, I did. You know, I know it wasn't uh, in line with what I was supposed to do, but I did it anyway. You know, and she had the burfiest cheek to try and shed a few Matt Hancock-style crocodile tears as well. I'm surprised she didn't burst out yeah. laughing uh, the same as Hancock did. Natalie talks a lot about Juper's delight and I think Sturgeon yes. must be rubbing her little uh, furry paws yeah. together with glee this morning at the fact that she's not banged up somewhere. Not what do yeah. you think? Well, uh, I mean, just well, to continue the sort of fish metaphors oh. that you were uh, started earlier on, I mean, she even tried to wriggle out of the deletion of messages. She tried to make a, a distinction between not a, a, a not deleted the messages. I just didn't retain the messages. Yeah. Uh, linguistically, but, try to wriggle out. It's, it's so it's so disgusting to see this. It really is. It, uh, if no. you wanted to analyze it psychologically as well, uh, when she yeah. did her little kind of crocodile tears routine, she was actually talking about herself. She wasn't talking about any victims. She was like, I kind of wish that I hadn't been the first minister. <laughs> it's like it was about herself. Yeah. You know, those yeah. were the bit. And and, and she of was course. she was crying for her own reputation at that point, even they, though they were fake tears. It was still yeah. about herself. And I mean, I've got like a, a kind of theory on the WhatsApp message they may not have existed in the first place. I find it a little bit odd mm -hmm. that Boris Johnson happened to have WhatsApp messages uh, that was in the UK. 
Pay, uh, English COVID inquiry. Now we're talking about them here in the Scottish one. It just seems a bit convenient, doesn't it? That we're not talking about actual lockdown and whether it should have existed. All of these supposed WhatsApp messages, like it's some type of uh, yeah. advertisement as well for WhatsApp. You wonder if they've had a little bit of a payout in order in, in, in order for them to get advertised at the same point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole, it's, it's very strange. Uh, I mean, the WhatsApps, like you're saying, it feels like it's a, it's a the political theatre beyond it. We're, we're not getting to the serious questions of the COVID inquiry. This is why we're here. We're not getting to the serious details. Uh, and uh, just as a brief, uh, after the actual COVID inquiry, this uh, we've got a, a lawyer that's doing really good work in Scotland, and Anwar, I forget his second name, but he's saying, what has the deletion of these messages got to do in relation to the Alex Salmond case as well? Because let's not forget that uh, Alex Salmond was, um, a, it was up in court for like 14 rape charges and beat the lot of them. Uh, and it was, uh, th- there seems to be some shenanigans going on there. So, um and don't the, forget the tents. Don't forget the tents and Sturges. So don't forget the tents and Sturgeon's garden as well. <laughs> Natalie and I were reporting on this last year. You remember the police had forensic tents up in her garden. We were sure that there was going to be skulls and uh, body parts uh, exhumed bodies. from her from her under the patio, but that didn't happen. Uh, we're coming up to the end of our segment here. Uh, apparently, breaking news is coming in from Africa. Africa concerning this Nicholas Sturgeon story as well. Uh, there's a lot of crocodiles in Africa are very upset about saying. <laughs> (laughs) that they're crying uh, crocodile tears. So apparently they want it to be rebranded Sturgeon Tears. So the next time you see a crocodile crying, they want it to be called uh, Sturgeon. Sturgeon Tears. Sturgeon Tears. But but anyway, uh, sorry about that horrific Scots accent. Hopefully they'll forgive me. And uh, Niall, it's been a blast talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We've got to take a headline break right now. And we're going to be back with uh, Jada Franson here live on TNT, today's news talk. Now, TNT Radio News. Uh-oh. Scandal. Huge news. This is very important. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. US President Joe Biden has been slammed for once again likening his son's cancer-related death to the loss of US troops killed by enemy fire overseas. Meanwhile, there's growing speculation the 81-year-old may not be president for much longer, even if he is lucky enough to win a second term in office. And as talk of a new world war heats up, Britain has announced plans to test fire a nuclear missile to be launched from a submarine in the Atlantic. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. Yep, we're back. And don't forget, you can call in at the end of the show or get on our online chat. I'd like to welcome Jada Franson now to the show. You can follow her at Jada BF. So J-A-Y-D-A-B-F. Jada is the leader of the anti-establishment campaign group 
British Freedom Party. She was famously retweeted by Donald Trump and has actively spoken out against mass immigration, grooming gangs and the globalist elite. She is here today to talk about Mike Freer. He is the Finchley and Golders Green Conservative MP and he's standing down over alleged personal safety fears, death threats and an arson attack. So Jada, uh, what do you think of this story? Do you actually genuinely think Mr Freer is an immediate danger of being killed, uh, uh, serving as an MP right now? Hmm. Um, well, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm speaking to you as someone who actually has been in receipt of um, several credible death threats in years gone by and have had protective measures put on my home and my person by counter-terror police. And so on the face of it, this um, this looks as though it kind of confirms my concerns that I've had over the years that led to those threats. So my concerns around grooming gangs and what have you. But um, let me just be very clear. Um, I'm not buying it at all. Um, this absolutely reeks of Zionist propaganda. And um, we've seen these kind of orchestrated events in recent months since the genocide of, of the people of the Palestinians in Gaza um, started. And um, honestly, it's so crass. What they're doing is it's, it's kind of, it, it's several pronged attack. The first thing is to play, first of all, they're just blaming Muslims, right? That's the main aim of the game. Shift the focus away from the, the heinous war crimes of Israel and just make sure that everybody is focusing on the big bad Muslims. And people might find this shocking coming from someone like me because over the years, for, for over a decade, I campaigned against the Islamization of the UK and grooming gangs and Sharia courts and all of that. But we, we have to be decent people. This is absolutely targeting one group of people to shift the blame from the real perpetrators. And so what I see here um, is an MP who has taken the opportunity, by the way, an MP who resides in a constituency that is 50% um, Jewish, Jewish, right? That 50% of the residents in Golders Green are Jewish. They've got their own Jewish police force. I am not buying that there is some high level of jihadi uh, movement and, um, uh, you know, and, and threat in such an area. And if you actually dig in to the incidents that are being cited, for example, this alleged arson attack, um, the, the two people that are on charges for this, um, one of them is, is uh, Paul Harwood and Kara uh, Kazorsky, or, or Kazori, sorry. They are also on charges for setting fire to a shed at the back of another property in the same area. It wasn't his constituent office that was attacked. It was an outbuilding. And both of these are being dealt with. There are allegations at the moment. They haven't been convicted. But both of these are being dealt with as arson without intent, without any hateful or racial or religious motive so but but what i what what absolutely screams of like a zyop is that in and amongst this the mp has cited expressly given one of his reasons for resigning and stepping down his homosexual marriage um and his activism in the trans pro-trans community and so basically what's going on here long and short of it is this is another Zogbot idea to try and push the attention onto the Muslims, big bad Muslims, blame them for everything. Meanwhile, Israel is good, LGBT is good, trans is good, gay marriage is good. And that's been the agenda 
particularly in the right wing of politics in the UK for well over a decade. I hope people are starting to see through it. Well, I was I was going to say, uh, you know, everything you've just said, and I was reading from a, a Sky News article, uh, Jada. It says he's known for his pro-Israel views, and he's claiming uh, the attacks are anti-Semitism. Uh, um, it also, uh, as you know, uh, goes on to say diversity is uh, our strength. The Tory MPs, of course, claim, but if that's the case, and diversity is our strength, isn't it slightly hypocrit- hypocritical then to uh, blame the Muslims because? Uh, by by that by that uh, belief anyway, then how come diversity is strength if you can't all live together? And now you're claiming there are personal safety fears. It all doesn't really add up, does it? Well, the first thing that doesn't add up, and this hasn't this hasn't been adding up for a long time, is the fact that every single comment, tweet, X, social media post, whatever, every single comment that is condemning the acts of Israel at the moment, who are committed, who are engaging in active war crimes. Um, is classed as anti-Semitic. What doesn't add up there is the fact that these crimes are being perpetrated against Semitic people. So that's the first strange one. Um, But moreover, I mean, this does support, there's so many angles to this, and the hypocrisy is ridiculous, as you said. There's so many angles. It does vindicate people like myself who have been saying that mass immigration and multiculturalism doesn't work and, and diversity isn't our strength. But in actual fact... You could have argued that case when it when Sir David Amis was knifed to death. Um, and I recall seeing Sir David Amis holding up a plaque saying that all refugees were welcome. You could have argued the same point when Joe Cox um, was knifed to death, although that wasn't that wasn't anything to do with um, an immigrant that was actually blamed on the right wing. And then they later just hushed that. In fact, that was blamed on me. <laughs> if we're going to be honest. They blamed that on me, the Joe Cox murder, and then they kind of backtracked a little bit and said, actually, he had mental health issues. Um, But in this instance, it's just, it's like, it's a two-pronged attack against themselves because yes, it confirms that diversity doesn't work if we're going to run with this narrative. Um, But you know, I guess the thing that really sickens me, and this sickened me after Joe Cox, and it sickened me after David Amos was knifed to death, and it sickens me now is that the response of our government um, and our unelected prime minister has been to reassure the British public that our elected MPs have got extra protection. So we can all go to bed and sleep well at night knowing that our children aren't safe. I've got nine godchildren to worry about. Our loved ones aren't safe. But don't worry, your MPs are being awarded extra protection just in case any of the people that they have invited to come and live in this nation, whom we know nothing about, might want to harm them. Yeah, and it does actually say, uh, Rick, in the article, uh, you mentioned uh, Jada Sir David Ames, uh, who was killed. It does say that he was targeted by the same man who stabbed him, Ali Harbour. Ali, um, uh, it actually says that in the article. So they're pushing that same stance as well, Rick, that, you know, he was targeted by the same man. The same thing could have happened to him as well, Rick. Yeah, you mentioned as well about uh, personal safety, Jada, about being under death threats yourself. And, you know, if 
a, there's a serious death threat against you if the people, uh, the police believe it's legitimate. They'll advise you to move house. They'll advise you to move your family away. It possibly even change your identity. Uh, so the only thing that I can read in the article reporting on this was that he, this guy, and his staff have started wearing stab vests at scheduled public events. And again, if you're under a legitimate death threat, I wouldn't be making ongoing public event or public appearances as well. I wouldn't think if you were taking it seriously. And a stab vest will only do so much if somebody's seriously. Uh, to kill you. Plus, you don't telegraph the fact that you're wearing stab vests in the first place as well. So it is Somebody a little bit of fun. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, there's ways and means around these things. So yeah, it's an interesting one. And of course, I think it also pushes that narrative that those uh, MPs are deserving of a greater level of protection than you and me, for example. Uh, and that's what they're receiving here. So it's a it's a strange one that uh, it's a strange one. This. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, we're running out of time, Jade. Was there anything that you just want to quickly add before we have to go here to the break? No, well, I just, as I said before, I just hope that people are starting to see through the narrative. And again, I'm, I'm grateful for you having me on because it gives me the opportunity to kind of dispel the myth that I would be drawn in to this false narrative that this is all just big, bad Muslims. I don't want immigration in my country, let me be very clear, and I'm a Christian, I don't want Islam in my country, but we cannot get drawn into this Zionist agenda of t turning the attention away from the people that are perpetrating war crimes. And honestly, we need to focus on a, uh, on an absolute ceasefire and saving the children of Gaza. That's what, that's what people need to be pushing the government, stop funding foreign wars, stop bringing these foreigners to our land, and we will be safe. Yeah, and, and that, that uh, for and me, and I think that needs to be pointed out and that how much that politicians use these things for spin, uh, for PR, to incite more hate, to incite more division. Um, and that's exactly what, you know, that they use with divide and conquer. So thank you so much again for taking the time to come out and speak to us, Jada. Remember, you can follow her at Jada BF on X. Uh, we've got to take a break now on today's news talk and we've got lots more breaking stories to cover here at TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Well, the trial between Michael Mann and Mark Stein continues in Washington, D.C., and something very interesting has just occurred. It appears that Michael Mann has succeeded in putting his hockey stick on trial in Mann versus free speech. Now, this is very interesting because if... Stein's people can get the people watching this trial to understand that Dr. Mann would not reveal how he came up with his conclusions. That should instantly, instantly make it so that this thing should be dismissed. So I don't know if Dr. Mann was thinking, but apparently the hockey stick his famed idea that let's take away the medieval warming period and the Earth's temperature just flatlined and went up like crazy. And it really put him on the map and became an icon for the IPCC. I don't know if he wants this because you would need discovery and the discovery would be, let me see your data. Why should the entire planet simply accept something? Maybe Michael Mann is the most honest guy in the world, but why should we accept his word without looking at the data? So this is going to be very, very interesting over the next few days. 
And it is a big deal because this kind of stuff going on where people are suing other people for things that are questionable at best, it's got to stop or society will spin out of control. This is WeatherBell.com Chief Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out, I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw. It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids, and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March, and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through, and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador, so I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my licence, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun. Please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. You're with Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Oh, yeah. It's me. You know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a long story, but yeah, it's me. I had to just uh, hard reset my brain, brain there <laughs> during the break. <laughs> I've got another story. It's Friday. Listen, believe me, by the time Friday comes, I'm not going to lie. It's like someone's put, you know, one of those old blenders in one of my ears and hit it on the blitz for about 15 <laughs> seconds. And it's getting more and more difficult for me to carry on uh, towards the end of the week. But that's old age and also uh, being Irish, I think, mixed in there. But we're still going. The show is still going on. Now, like inside China's execution conveyor belt uh, you gotta love these strap lines for these headlines uh how mobile injection vans and firing squads are used to put thousands to death a year outstripping capital punishment figures for the rest of the world combined so we've had this talk before you and i you know death sentence yes or no i know you're against it because there's obviously the possibility that the person that you're executing could actually be innocent. And it doesn't happen that often, really, in America. There's not that many people put to death. But China? China are on a mission when it comes to uh, executions. Uh, they kill more people every year, more alleged criminals every year, than the rest of the world put together. They are head and shoulders above everybody else. What yeah. is it with China's death wish? They've got this fascination with executing people. Well, uh, we don't really know the true figures. Uh, Basically, we know uh, the communist state really doesn't release any uh, any of these figures, so it is guesswork. Uh, but they've got forty six crimes that carry the death sentence, uh, and uh, if just recently uh, there were two big ones that made headline. A couple were executed uh, for killing two young children, throwing them off a balcony, and a son was executed for bludgeoning his mother to death with a dumbbell. They were two big stories. I think they came out of Beijing, uh, but I, it's weird as well. 
Marcus, we're seeing a lot of uh, stories about the death penalty uh, on the legacy media. And we know, uh, like we've said, the same about shoplifting or euthanasia. Suddenly you get a big influx of stories. So I do wonder if that's something that they may even consider in the UK moving forward, saying, you know, the prisons are too full. Uh, this is something that we have to consider maybe for, uh, you know, the worst of the uh, of the criminals. But certainly here, it's not just murder or rape. Uh, there are lesser uh, uh, crimes that you can uh, get, it, like they said, a lethal injection, firing squads. And I know uh, there are people out there that do believe in the death penalty. I'm not one of them. And they'd love to see people just be, uh, uh, you know, shot in, in in a row, maybe AK-47s, just, uh, just killing as many people as possible. Uh, you know, but, um, uh, you know, that's a whole nother story. But the execution vans do sound quite interesting, Rick. Yeah, Even worse than a, a lethal firing squad. So uh, for anyone that wants to know what they are, mobile execution units, it means they don't even have to pay to move them. Uh, State-sanctioned killings, they just move the prisoner into the grounds on the uh, uh, prison itself. Oh. They get into the van, which was a converted 24-seat converted bus um, in a windowless chamber and uh, kill them right there. Um, and I think there's some cameras so people can see. So that's that's a new way of doing it. No, you know, no no lethal injection, no nitrogen, no firing no squads. Just get into like almost like a Scooby-Doo van or something. The and there van. you go. Boom. It's like Ted, Ted, like Ted Bundy's Volkswagen Beetle, only a 24-seat <laughs> bus that they maybe took inspiration from him. I'm noticing as well here, uh, you know, in America, for example, the death penalty is reserved for the most heinous of crimes. But here, according to a report published, uh, China's Penal Code of 1997, which is still in force today, it is 46 crimes that are punishable by death. Uh, 24 of them are violent crimes. But listen to this, they have 22 non-violent crimes that are punishable by death. Now, I didn't even know that there was 46 crimes that anybody could commit anyway. You know, most people think of, you know, theft, armed robbery, rape, murder, arson, whatever. 46 crimes, just punishable by death, 22 of them non-violent. And, you know, we like to have a little bit of uh, tongue-in-cheek humour here. I've noticed recently uh, there's been a little bit of blue skies and the temperatures went up by a few degrees in Northern Ireland. So now we've had a lot of ice cream vans. I don't know if they have them in Reading, but people drive ice cream vans around the States yeah. playing music, you know, to get the kids out to buy ice yeah. cream. I'm just wondering, these mobile firing squads, are they in big black ice cream van type structures? And instead of playing a little tune, you know, green sleeves <laughs> uh, to lure the kids out, is it the Darth Vader march? from Star Wars, dun, 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 dun. and then the back opens up and these guys pop out with yeah. the AK-47s. I don't know, but China absolutely has a thing. They have a thing about execution. 6,000 a year is a lot and 46 crimes available to be punishable by death for in America. So I would say if you do live over there or you are uh, a citizen of China, uh, you should keep yourself uh, right in the eyes of the law. There's a lot of things that could get you killed. And in the live chat has just put on uh, playing Monty Pythons. Always look on the bright side of life as you're being led out to the death van or the mobile execution unit. But anyway, uh, let's move away. Let's move away from, from such uh, grim, grim topics. Let's move across to uh, LTN, uh, low traffic neighborhood bollards. Haven't heard anything about these ones for a while. 
these big planter pots that were put up in certain areas of London to stop through traffic, but of course they prevented fire engines and even police cars and ambulances from getting to where they were supposed to go. And now uh, a, a mobile a, a mobile death unit, um, which <laughs> so, which let's face it, some ambulances some ambulances are <laughs> they they have been prevented from getting to a woman about to give birth. What's this one about? No, it wasn't uh, giving birth. This is um, her baby oh. was having a seizure. Uh, so oh. this was uh, Charlie Panther, 34, had called 999 um, on New Year's Eve. Her 10-month-old daughter, Nola, was having a, a very serious seizure, which could have led to death. Uh, video footage shows the ambulance speeding up to the house, um, but then stopped in its path uh, by these planters. Two paramedics have to be seen walking down a road, carrying medical equipment. Um, they then had to realise they needed what was in there. They've had to have a detour. Thankfully, the 10-month-old did survive, but it could have been another story. Uh, so, you know, that there are people, uh, this it happened to be a low-traffic neighbourhood in uh, Witherington, in Manchester, in August, nine junctions on the Hartley Estate in Witherington, uh, where Miss Planter lives, were fitted with these plant boxes, and people now are campaigning to get rid of them, basically saying, well, this, this, this uh, girl could have died. You know, yeah. uh, you know, this can cost lives there's no way a low traffic neighborhood should be able to stop any emergency services uh from reaching people uh but the council are not doing anything about it uh rick they've said uh, uh a spokesman has uh turned around and said it's only anecdotal reports that uh emergency services can't get through which is a bit uh bit of an insult no. um and he said uh, ultimately the scheme is about bringing change which is easier and more accessible for residents to walk wheel or cycle reduce rat running and improve overall road safety in our neighborhood but it doesn't matter if you get killed if an emergency services obviously uh vehicle can't get through but as long as they as they sort out road safety all as well rick Here's the thing too, if you think about it, motorways, national motorways, you know, the there's a hard shoulder on every motorway. There has to be a hard shoulder there that if you break down, you can move your vehicle safely off the road to cause more vehicles Unless piling it was a smart motorway. cause accident. Or unless it was a smart motorway, which never were built in the first place and they back turned on them because they would have been a liability. Okay, or let emergency services quickly fly down the motorway on the hard shoulder to get to the point of an accident and administer uh, potentially life-saving treatment or cut people out of a car, extinguish burning vehicles if it's the fire brigade. So they have that on motorways, but yet in residential areas now and vast areas of London, they've put these huge planter pots down and some people removed them and then they replaced them. They, poured con they dug the roads up, they poured concrete in and they put these big steel posts in uh, to stop people from destroying them. But that was effectively creating a barrier between the people that live there and the emergency services, let alone stopping traffic from going through neighborhoods. It literally stopped every traffic, including potentially life-saving stuff. So how that got through health and safety, even though it was for the betterment of the planet, in their words, uh, how they could override that by saying, you know, there's potentially children here going to have a fit or old people taking heart attacks or people, you know, having terrible falls or terrible domestic violence incidents, but the emergency services can't get there because of these damn pots and planter pots that are in the road. 
Yeah, I mean, there was talk at one point of having uh, something uh, so uh, the kind of like bollards could come up and down yeah. for the emergency services, uh, which I'm presuming moving forward will probably end up happening. And I think tragically what will happen in the future is there will be an awful case where something like, you know, like a six or seven year old dies due to one of these low traffic neighborhood plant pots and they will have to if they want to carry on doing it have to do something so the emergency services can get through but it should never take a death it should never take a tragic event to actually see that these are wrong this could have been uh this 10 month old child thankfully she did make it to the hospital and she did survive and she is alive but it, it, it's not going to be the case soon somebody is going to be seriously injured or died or death they are. And, you know, when that happens, the blame will be rightly pointed towards these local councils, local authorities, yeah. and they will shirk responsibility or do the do the dance, do the dance as and when that happens. And speaking of doing the dance, uh, Eamon Ryan, another Irish politician of note for all the wrong reasons, I've dubbed him Mr. Potato Head because he's simply head like a tuber. He said here, Eamon Ryan rejects the idea that Ireland is full in uh, Parliament and unable to take more migrants saying we can and we will. So what he opens up his parliamentary address by saying, Ireland is not full. We can and will take in more migrants. And in the same speech, he goes on to say that services are, quote, absolutely stretched and the government has to change asylum rules because it can't guarantee any beds to those people arriving from outside of Ireland. So think about that. On one hand, he opens up an address saying, Ireland is not full. We can and will take in more people. And then in the next sentence, he said, our services are stretched to capacity and we can't even guarantee a bed for people to sleep in. This is an Irish politician and you wonder why I call him Mr. Potato Head. It was it was classic what I, I would call uh, political spin and PR. If you, I'm, I'm sure there must be like a politician's course or something like that we don't get to see where they watch a video on how to answer questions and divert the the truth. Because like you said, he comes on and he and he says, you know, we can and we will accept more uh, uh, immigrants. Uh, basically, you know, doing the virtue signaling line that he's supposed to, and then he goes on to say, but uh, we've had to put in changes uh, because there are limits to cope in this present time and uh, we won't be able to uh, guarantee places for single men coming into the country so basically he's he's telling us it's full but at the same time he has to follow the party line and uh, also say that uh, we're going to carry on letting people in so complete hypocrisy and contradiction which is absolutely what every politician does so um, which one's the lie then that we're going to carry on letting more people in or that the country's full because in the same paragraph he said both statements rick so uh, uh is it, it i don't know if that's just anything to do with being irish but i think it's more to he's do a, with lying a, politician he's a loon he's a loon and he's a rivaling helen mcintyre for a looniest uh, irish mp there's rumors that if there is a coalition formed at the next Irish government that he could actually be the next Taoiseach, the next Leo Varadkar could actually really? be Mr. Potato Head himself, uh, Eamon <laughs> Ryan. And if that happens, you know, we think Ireland's in a bad way at the minute. Imagine if this loon gets into power into uh, the, the Taoiseach's seat. Uh, one last story to cover off here before the top of the hour. Uh, Basel started off uh, talking about uh, people coming into the Canary Islands. This is just some figures uh, for America. He also mentioned America. He said America's illegal, illegal immigration crisis is shattering century-old records with alarming numbers. And just to give you some kind of an idea, in 2010, 
which is what, 14 years ago, there were 463,000 people illegally went into America in 2010. By 2016, it was still level at the same amount, 410, 420,000. It started jumping in 2019 to 880,000. 2021, 1.9 million. 2022, 2.7 million. And in 2023, 3.2 million. So we talked about the Canary Islands uh, to start off with, but looking at America, domestically in America, from 200 and, uh, 2010, 463,000 to 2023, 3.2 million. And that's per year. That's not a cumulative total. That is per year. So this year, if things keep going the way they're going, they could be on target to hit 4 mil, 4 million I got my, people. Uh... I got my son before he ran out the door, uh, my mathematician son, to have a quick look at these figures. So we're talking in uh, 13 years. So there's a jump per year of 2,700,000, basically. But uh, that's uh, an increase in those 13 years of 591%, uh, my son told me. But he then said, but that he said, interestingly, though, if you take the last four years since COVID, it's a 690% increase. Uh, that's mm. when it jumps the most. Uh, so that's to kind of put it into perspective of what kind of numbers we're looking at. Not just a little little jump here, 690% uh, that they're allowing in into the country. Uh, and that's through Biden and, and his policies, which are caused deportation, suspended uh, remain in Mexico, stopped border wall construction. So, yeah, 8 million people have illegally entered uh, the country. And unless something is done about it, these figures are going to continue to grow. And it won't just be 690%. We're going to be looking at much, much more, Rick. It's mad, these American presidents. You remember when Trump came in, he was talking about building a wall. And uh, yep. he did. He started building a wall. Then as soon as Biden came in, he undid everything Trump <laughs> did. Now, when Trump gets back in again, which he probably will, he's going to undo everything Biden did. It's just this constant <laughs> doing and undoing of what the person before you did. It's absolutely mad. But we've all that to look forward to in 2024 as well, the yeah. American elections. Nat, we're up to time. Uh, have an absolutely epic weekend. Hopefully get yourself recharged, as I will try and do, and we will reconvene here Monday morning, 9 a.m. We will. UK time on open line. So uh, are you going to say bye bye or will I do it? bye bye and have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs> Look forward to seeing you on Monday. What an epic, epic little catchphrase thing she has. It's actually catching on in our studio over in uh, the Gold Coast <laughs> as well. So maybe it'll be a global thing in 2024. Have a good one. I'll be back after the news here on TNT, today's news talk. Thank you.